Hello. Welcome to this special leap year edition of Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I'm your host. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. This season, we're brought to you by Under the Radar magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. Please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode, including these special editions. And you can also come and hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB, the podcast, and we are on Instagram and on Twitter. For this special episode, we're really excited to celebrate the release of Solstice, which is the album by Grammy-nominated producer and writer Rob Graves. This interview was very zesty. <laughs> we covered a lot of really interesting topics about creativity and writing, given that Rob also casually has his MFA in creative writing. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. So welcome to Why Not Both. <laughs> We're here yes. with Rob Graves. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm laughing because we already talked about really rad stuff, but you don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right so this is we're started now okay now i know yeah this is the start start little do people Great. know there was a really good lead up to this um yeah but i would i would ask you to tell everyone what it is that you do and if there's a better question that someone could ask you than that sure um i'm a songwriter and record producer i work mostly in uh, the rock genres um <clears throat> work with bands like star set and red all that remains kind of heavier stuff mm-hmm. and uh recently i've sort of branched out a bit into some solo release stuff i'm going to release a, a compilation of a piano compositions called solstice that comes out february 28th so uh i'm branching out into that a bit and I, I just do a lot of thinking and writing about uh creativity in general and i'm also uh of a fiction writer and I, i'm really interested in how those two kind of interface those two areas of creativity mm-hmm. um that's that's a broad scope of i guess what i do and uh i it's funny i you know to be here being interviewed what i want to be asked generally nothing i don't want people to ask me anything <laughs> it's it's true i i kind of i i'd rather they like maybe look at what i'm doing and learn from 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 that i guess maybe the answers are there but it's it's a bit that's a bit of a lofty expectation to put on people but uh yeah in general when i get asked questions i'm like don't you see already what i because i (laughs) i think creative people like we don't often know how we do what we do which is a big part of it and when you try to figure it out too much you can get into trouble so right uh, yeah i i encourage people to everyone wants a prescription you know they want to know how do you do this how do you do that and it's like it's not the right direction to be asking questions. I think you, uh, I would encourage people to more find their own way, you know? So I, I tend mm-hmm. to answer a lot of questions with questions, I think maybe. So Socratic method. I, uh, yeah. I think that's the best way people figure it out for themselves. They already know the answer. They just, they don't know that they know it. Uh, yeah. Cause you, uh, for the audience, we had been talking about, uh, the Twitter threads that you post. And I was curious, like, what do you usually post in that threads? And is it responses to people's questions or is it things that occur to you about creativity? It's a great question. Um, I, and again, I don't often know. I just sort of get an idea uh, for something that usually I'm dealing with in, in something I'm making. And I have a thought about it. And I think, oh, this would maybe help other people. 
if they knew this. Um, and then I, you know, I'll write like a long 30 or 40 sometimes uh, tweet <laughs> thread. I, I kind of go on them. But it's, uh, I try to be pretty direct. I'm not not super like kid glove with things. I'm, I'm pretty direct about it. I, I think, you know, the people who are ready to hear whatever I, I would have to say are probably also at a place where I don't need to sugarcoat things, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but I, I also have a bit of a thing with... Um, most creativity teaching, I, I think it's sort of become productivity teaching. It's not really the same mm. thing. It's all about, you know, finding time to sit down and do all these. I don't know. It's like those aren't I'm not interested in that kind of stuff. It's uh, the process to me is much more kind of visceral mm-hmm. thing where you have to get really get in there and get your hands dirty. And I, most people who are teaching about creativity, I think there's very few of them. I, I don't know. I, I think creativity teaching should be done by people who are actually successfully creating things mm-hmm. and you know there, there's a few a good example is uh Stephen Pressfield's book uh the war of art mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is uh, That's bring to mind yeah it's one of the, like the few books that is written by this is a guy who writes novels that are great and he's talking about the process and mm-hmm. how you do it and what you're gonna run into as a creator Mm-hmm. Most other books you find on creativity, they're maybe written by an editor or somebody who just teaches uh, creativity. So it's a bit like, you know, if you just smash a watch against the ground, break it apart, see all the pieces, it doesn't tell you anything about how to put the watch together. Right. That's what we kind of want to know. They're they're breaking it down after the fact, like looking at successful novels and or, or songs, whatever, and how they happened. But it doesn't tell you anything about how to actually do it. How to actually do and it, yeah. Whole other like, like series of like awful things that can happen to you while you're creating <laughs> that you'll never see in most creativity books. All the self right. doubt you have, all the lies you tell yourself, and all the fear you run into, and all that kind of stuff. That's the real stuff, and okay. uh, that's the kind of stuff I try to write about. Like, as a working professional, what do I run into, mm-hmm. you know, for problems? And uh, yeah, I, I guess. I try to temper it with a little bit of, you know, maybe like Zen sort of philosophy, just sort of like get people to stop thinking a bit mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. just kind of trust in their process. So what but ultimately, I don't know you? why I write them. Yeah, that was actually what I was wondering. See, you, you anticipated I don't know the why. question there. <laughs> I, I, and I think that's the best thing. Like I, if you're, if I'm going after it with this attempt to like try to sort of do something, I, that's when you sort of start to fail. That's, I like the things that I don't know why I do them. I just do mm-hmm. them. And that, that's really the kind of the point, you know, of, of, of all of it. So well, and it seems, it seems like you want to at least help other people, which like you wouldn't be sharing it outwardly if you didn't want to help other people who are in this process. I think I do. It's, it's funny cause I don't, I don't really have that specific. This is going to sound bad, but I'm going to be honest. I, I don't really have that specific drive. I don't think, I'm just going to help everybody create better. I, I don't, I, I'm glad that I do. And that happens. It seems like that's happening. I, I get great responses often on Twitter and I'm very happy to see them, but it's not really like a impetus to do it. I, I remember getting, you know, I, I get sometimes the songs that I write, people will 
sent me a message about how it like changed their life and it helped them and maybe they'll send me like a picture of like a tattoo of my lyrics and mm-hmm. on their body. It's awesome. It's cool, but it has nothing to do with why I do it. Like that doesn't even. <laughs> not, I don't write an inspiring song to think like, I hope that changes somebody's life. Not even a little bit. I just do it. Like that's, you know, the, the kind of the purest, I think, reason we can ever create is because you're just doing it for yourself. You, you would do this if you were the last person on earth no one was ever going to hear it. You would still do it anyway. And that's how you, I think, I don't want to call it a calling. I don't like that whole perspective, but I don't know. Those are the things that are sort of, you know, kind of the truest, most genuine things where you do it only kind of for yourself because you have to do it. And hopefully it, people like it. Yeah. That's why I'm curious how it ended up like on Twitter. Cause you could be puzzling those things out for yourself as well. Like it is, it sounds incredibly <laughs> for you. And I was like, how did those end up then on the internet instead of like in a journal? Cause I was like, those could end up there too. It's <laughs> a good, it's a good point. I, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I do write about it a lot. I, uh, <clears throat> I kind of write it out. I don't really journal. I'm not I'm, for people to do. That's great. I'm just not like that. My head doesn't work that way. I, mm-hmm. I kind of always wanted to be, I wish <laughs> that I was that kind of person. And I've even tried a few times. But I'm just not that, this doesn't work that way. I just, right. whenever something occurs to me, I will often write it out. It's uh, many authors um, are attributed to having said, I don't know what I think until I write it. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I actually did say it, but um, that is so true. I mean, I, it's funny how I'm writing something out. I'm like, I didn't know that's exactly what I thought. And it, it's a whole new idea mm-hmm. uh, that appears right there. So that's why I say people, you know, the answer already people asking questions. <laughs> There's just a lack of, it's about introspection. It's about asking yourself yeah, questions yeah. like what's holding me back from this or that and why, yeah, I, I, one big one that nobody asks themselves is about discipline. Like I, I get this, I get this question a lot with music where they see how you discipline yourself to sit down and write. And it's, that's the kind of question where I, when I say I don't want to be asked questions because like mm-hmm. I can't answer that. I'm like, that's every, the whole premise of the question is wrong. It's, it's, if you have to discipline yourself, your time would be so much better spent asking and investigating into your own psyche why you have to discipline yourself to do something, right. why you want to discipline yourself at all instead of just what would you do naturally without disciplining yourself? Yeah, because then and, it, it met a meta question of like, well, then why do you need discipline to do something that you'd be motivated to do anyway? Yeah, there's a bigger problem going on. If you can't make yourself sit down to write, there's something bigger going on. Um, it's not it's not that you don't want to be a writer. It's not that you should quit. I, I don't believe that, but I, there's something else going on that's making you have to sit down or, to write because mm-hmm. you should love to do that. You should want to do that. You should do that for start by asking yourself if I knew that nobody was ever going to read this thing I'm writing or no one's ever going to hear this song that I'm writing, but mm-hmm. I still do it. If mm-hmm. the answer is no, you have to be very honest with yourself. If the answer is no. Then you keep digging and you keep asking questions. People, just don't do that. That's why I want creators to maybe dig into themselves. It's it's about brutal self honesty, right? You know, and if, if you can do that, you can do anything. You can you can really find <laughs> your way to any sort of through any problem. And do you find that that kind of introspection is lacking in some of the education that people are receiving, both in the fields that you're in, like in music as well as creative writing? It is, yeah, um, among amateurs, uh, and I use the word amateur, um, and prof- I use the words amateur and professional. 
uh, like Stephen Pressfield does in his book that I mentioned, uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with how we would use the word colloquially, um, whether a professional makes money doing an amateur doesn't, doesn't really mean that you can be, you can amateur professionals and professional amateurs. (laughs) It's about your habits. You have amateur habits Mm or professional habits. Um, so yeah, I, I find that the, the amateur really doesn't ask those kind of questions and they're not, they're not being taught. I guess that was your question. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, so I have an MFA in creative writing from University of Maine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say that, I, like, the only thing I learned about this kind of stuff I'm talking about is by watching the faculty, you know, the professional writers mm-hmm. who were there. This is, it, it bridges a bit into my, you know, the the why not both uh, aspects, yeah. or at least <laughs> one of the many ones I probably have. The um, multiverse of why not both. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think as a, as a writer of fiction, I, I definitely had some amateur habits because I, I tend to compare the the music stuff and the writing stuff, probably too much. Like I try okay. to think like how how are they how are they different when I sit down to write versus sit down to play piano or guitar or something. Got it. And uh, I found that they were different, and I, through a lot of introspection and asking these kind of questions I realized like I was I definitely had created all these blocks and had a lot of amateur habits with fiction writing I would tend to ask the faculty certain kinds of questions that would annoy the hell of me if I could ask them about music oh. you know, s- s- stuff like the discipline maybe that's a good example like yeah yeah, uh, yeah I, I would people would ask me that about music I'm like you just do it like I'm always doing it I'm doing it now I'm writing a song in my head like always there's always stuff happening like you just do it uh but with you know fiction writing I'm like well you know what's the best time how many words should I get a day and what's the should I plot or outline first and all these kinds of things that are like dude come on that's, <laughs> that's a joke if, if I could ask that you know about music do I write lyrics this is the big one I always get asked do you write music or lyrics first and it's like oh my god I don't know I write whatever comes to write I I just write it I don't think about that if you think about that shit you're asking all the wrong questions like you're you're you got to reframe the whole thing like you're not even on the on the map I mean what what do you get out of that frame of mind because that sounds almost like when people are focused on the content of something as opposed to like like the surface content as opposed to the emotional content or the meaning of something or really kind of the underlying structure and how do you how do you get people into that place where they are actually focused more on the deeper structures? Like what do you write about and kind of what helped you get into that? Yeah. Well, the, the way you ended that question was good because I was about to say, I, I don't get them there at all. Uh, other people, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't like the things I say are just the things that are, I think that they're true. They're the things that I see and it's not, it's not a thing where people have to do it or not have to do it. They can choose whatever they want. If they want maybe to get over some of the stuff that's causing them problems, they can do this. But uh, yeah, I don't, I guess, set up with the goal to lead people anywhere. But when you asked about how I did it myself, I, I, I don't know. It's a lot of, you know, I, I do an immense amount of, I guess, reading and uh, I try to incorporate a lot of different mediums, mm-hmm. photography and art they all feed each other. They all inspire each other. Um, and I, I think just because casting that sort of wide net, I don't know, you, 
get exposed to new things and new ways of thinking. And I, I think really just like, people are never going to overcome those kind of things until they get to a point where they have to almost like it, it, the alternative becomes almost unbearable in a way. Mm -hmm. Like when you, you get too frustrated with something you're creating and you realize you're thinking about it all the time, but in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And instead of writing it, you're just thinking about it and talking, you know, mm -hmm. talking about it and doing all these. And eventually that people can do that for years, but not until it becomes just unbearable and they have to get it out of them somehow. Right. Well, they start to look somewhere for the answers. And like it, I've been doing this like 20 years. I, I feel like only in the last year or two, I've really started to have any semblance of understanding of what like is really going on in this whole process. Well, so, and <clears throat> something it's funny. You, because you produce other people's music as well. Like, do you find that then you're kind of in a way eliciting this from other people so that you can help them craft their art? Yeah. Um, I, I guess I don't think of it in those terms, but it, it is, it is certainly that I, I go into like when I'm producing somebody else's music. Well, I should say too, like as a producer for me personally, um, there's sort of different sorts of producers. Um, there's guys who are kind of hands off. They kind of sit back and, Mm -hmm. they uh not that they aren't good at what they do or are contributing a lot but they're contributing in a different way like an overall management like they're putting other people together and they're mm -hmm. looking at the results and steering it then i'm i'm a much more of a hands-on kind of producer and i get in there and i really i'm working on this stuff i, I tend to play a lot of the instruments on the tracks i do mm -hmm. and i really get in there and i, I often uh, tend to write a lot of what i produce um, and it's, I, and I also kind of influence the sound. People come to me for like kind of a specific sound. I sort of do like big cinematic sounding rock. So because of that, I, I tend to have a lot of influence on the overall sound, even if it's a song I didn't write. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it often feels like my thing anyway, even though it's like a different <laughs> artist. It's kind of, I probably shouldn't be like admitting this on a podcast, but I, I think it's, I mean, it's funny because I think the artists that hire me, they know that. And that's kind of why they're hiring right. me probably is they want that thing. You know, not everybody does. Some artists are really developed. And you just need to stay out of the way. And other times bands will come to you and be like, I need you to like, we need to craft a sound. That's a whole new thing. So it often feels like my art anyway. It has to, because otherwise it's just a job. I mean, I could, right get a job somewhere if all I'm going to do is show up and move faders and dials and press buttons and just yeah. make somebody's stuff sound good. Like I have no interest in that. I'd rather, I'd rather be like a, a doctor or something. <laughs> you know, it's just a job <laughs> at that point or a chef. I'd become a chef or a, I don't know. I'm not fit for too many things. Maybe like lighthouse keeper is probably my best <laughs> option. I don't yeah, know why like that delighted me so much. <laughs> yeah. Cause when you said yeah. like, don't ask me questions, I just imagined you with like, a giant beard in a lighthouse just being like, mm, yes. You're not far you off. I, I live I live way on the woods in Maine and uh, <laughs> I do have a beard. <laughs> yeah. I, that's the other things I left, you know, I left Nashville. I lived in Nashville for like 12 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so people see me up here in Maine. I'm from Maine originally. So I, I came back mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they think, oh, you can, you can be a professional musician and not have to live in Nashville or LA or New York. And it's like, well, don't be misled by that. It's, I lived there for 12 or 15 years and I, that's why I can 
you know, I still have to travel a lot, but like if right. you're starting out, it's not going to be easy to start from Maine, honestly. If you're trying I think to- that that's definitely important for people to know because there is like the economic aspect of this podcast. I do talk to people about like, well, why do you do the multiple things you do and like how has like income impacted what you've chosen to do? And that's very true where it's like people... Yeah. People are like, oh, well, I see these artists that don't live in a major city and they save so much money. How do they do that? And it's like, well, they probably spent at least a decade living in a major city. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's very 100% true. You you just don't start. Very rare that you could start outside of a major center for the thing that you're trying to do. It's maybe a little bit easier nowadays with how things are connected. But uh, yeah, it wasn't until I had enough financial stability and a lot of royalties coming in and stuff that I could it didn't really it basically didn't matter if I ever worked again like when I by the time I moved mm-hmm. you know so I thought if people still hire me and they want to come up here to work in my studio in Maine that's great if they don't uh I can go to them or not you know everything <laughs> be, everything's gonna be fine I actually- just had to get out of it it was killing me you know oh I'm an I'm an LA native and I I'm still here and I'm just like what's that like going back home to Maine? Cause I'm just like, when I go back home, it's like to Tarzana. Yeah. it's <laughs> Well, I'm, I don't live uh, in my exact hometown. When I do go up there, it's, it, it is a, a different, I, I love it though. I, I love where I'm from and uh, from, I'm from like Northern Maine, like so mm-hmm. far up. Um, it's, it's probably not believable to most people how rural like parts of Maine are. Uh, it's like you can, one of the few places in the country you can really get lost in the woods and never come out. It's very wow. rural, but I, I live more down in the South near the coast. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I, it's very grounding for me. It's, I think when you, when your whole world is just music, 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 and you're in the industry and everybody else, you know, is in the industry. It's just it, like, it's so stale so fast. Cause everything's just on this feedback loop. Like you're just, mm-hmm. you're consuming the things that you're putting out. So it just turns into I think, you know, garbage, like I need external inspiration and output. I got to, I got to work at it from the outside of it. Mm. I guess that got it. Uh, it was different career trajectory because of that. I, I think I could have, you know, I could have been a lot busier than I am. I could do a lot more records than I do, but it just, it's about, I mean, I don't say happiness, but it's, I don't know. It's about contentment is a better word. It's what mm. you really makes you content. And uh, I, I didn't, you spend so you spend so much time trying to get more and more and more and then you realize like that's not even close to what it's about <laughs> you know, <laughs> it sounds like it really it changed your workflow and changed what you chose to work on moving back it, it really did yeah it, it's it affected a lot of things it enabled me to like do some more schooling mm-hmm. which i i love i love school yeah. um yeah it enabled that but it i don't know i think it, it led to more of a peace of mind that it allowed me to have the peace to start, I guess, a luxury to start asking some of the questions that I was able to ask myself about creating. And mm-hmm. I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that if I had stayed in Nashville. You know, it was too busy. And now I'm up here and I just have a lot of time. You know, I still work a lot when I'm, when I'm producing a record, but I, I try to produce more than like one record a year like one and a half mm-hmm. records a year uh, <laughs> and not not including my own stuff right. and I had a I, I'm on a pretty good like rotating schedule the, the two of the two of the bigger bands I produce are uh, one's called Red and the other is called Starset mm-hmm. and they're on pretty good alternating 
schedules. So like I'll do a red album and then have several months off and then I'll do a star set record and have several months off and <laughs> we kind of go back and <laughs> forth. So. And how do you balance that with your own work as well as your own writing? Because are you producing work in both music and writing or like, what does your workflow even look like? Yeah. Um, I am, uh, I am doing a lot of writing these days. Uh, and I, I tend to do that. Like when I'm, it's hard for me to do both at the same time. Mm. I would say, I don't, I'm not sure why it should be that way, but I find when I'm very busy on a record, I always think I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to keep knocking out about 500 words a day in my novel or something, but it never seems to work that well. I always tend to get, because what happens is like, I get very consumed by uh, one or the other. Like I'm, I'm kind of that, Sort of when I talk about not needing to be disciplined, that's kind of what it is. I sort of allow myself to become consumed by the thing I'm working on. Uh, so it's hard for me to split into that kind of fire for two things right. um, at the same time. Other people don't maybe have that problem, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like to divide my attention too much. I, Got it. I usually do okay when I start, like I'll start a record and I'm still writing a bunch, but then all of a sudden there's something clicks with that record and it's like all I'm working on. It's all I can think about. It's around the clock and I'm, you know, and then I get back to like writing stories or a novel or something after that. What you said almost seems like the antidote to when people are worried about discipline, it's letting yourself be consumed by something. I was like, oh, that's really beautiful. Like to allow that. So. Yeah, it's. I like how you're phrasing it too, is allowing it to happen. It's, uh, yeah, I like that perspective. It, people don't really, uh, most creators, they, they, yeah, they wouldn't, they, they want other things more than they want to create. And that, that's the thing they don't realize. And that's what you can realize by asking yourself these questions, like about why do I need to be disciplined? Um, it's because there is something you want more right. than you actually want to write. It can be often, it's usually focusing on an outcome too much. You want your novel to be super successful. Um, you want to get a big publishing deal out of it. You want everybody to love it. You're invested into an outcome and it's pretty paralyzing. Uh, maybe you want the money. Maybe you want the lifestyle of being a writer. It's super glamorous. Yeah, it's it's really. I was literally, I was like. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> Yeah, it, holding back a laugh, I was like, "Ah, oh, yes, I love that people think that being a musician or a writer is so glamorous." It's like, it's mainly sitting about in your hoodie and troubleshooting things and pondering and drinking. Very lonely. And yes, it's, it's a very lonely life because what happens is they, they only see like they see pictures I put on Twitter or Instagram. I'm like, here I am, like backstage with Breaking Benjamin, or here I am, you know, traveling somewhere to take a writing trip. You know, whatever that stuff's great, but you know, like that's you're seeing the highlights, yes. punctuated yes. with the. Uh, the highlights it's in reality you know, you're getting up and it's it's lonely like you're sitting in a little desk probably and the light on and you're just pounding out stuff and, and kind of wrestling with ideas and bleeding out you know tears over it sometimes it's it's not i know it probably sounds enticing to i'm romanticizing it more than it really is even even that trying to not romanticize it makes it sound better <laughs> than it is it's not um I was like, yeah, usually, just, usually for me, it involves an oversized hoodie, pomplumous LaCroix, and pacing yeah. around my house, um, yep. thinking about, yeah, there's a lot of movement, and then I come back to my desk, and then I 
make sounds and then I drink more LaCroix and maybe hiccup a bit and then walk around a little and then come on back. <laughs> yeah. If someone was actually watching a reality show of me creating a song, they're like, really? That's what did that? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always thought there should be like a, like a project runway style show about like songwriters. Yeah. Know, trying to like how we actually create. Uh, it's, it's funny. That actually was kind of the impetus of why I did, um, this new solo project thing uh it it was really about exploring that like how do you create like how does it happen mm -hmm. even, even mm -hmm. after 20 years i guess i wanted to think about it more i, th I think the uh the mfa you know I, that was kind of recent so it it really got me thinking about like as i said you know the difference of the two things and creativity and why why does one feel different than the other thing and all that mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to explore it more, I just wanted to uh, kind of say, well, every, this is how it started. It was every Saturday I'm going to, and I, I decided this like on a Saturday morning. I, I just kind of woke up and decided I'm going to do this. I'm going to mm -hmm. write a song. I'm going to kind of improvise it and make it up as I go and then fine tune it a bit. And then I'm going to just put it on YouTube. Oh, and nice. And it, it kind of, the idea just kind of happened like pretty quick, like I'm doing it. And every week I'm going to do this for like 10 songs every Saturday. And I'm not going to think about it at all during the week. I'm just going to mm -hmm. like Saturday morning, get up. And that's what I do that day. Anything. And whatever happens is going to happen. It's going to get posted. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, kind of challenging, you know, aspects to that. I, I kind of thought like, can I really do that? Like, can I really accept that like, I'm just going to, you know, write something and improvise it almost. And it's mm -hmm. maybe it won't be good. I don't know. Well, people, <laughs> it's going to be pretty quick. You know, it's whatever happens, happens. And you, know, you really have to be in a, to write something that quickly, you have to like, I always talk my, a lot of my threads, I always talk about not thinking mm -hmm. and um, just letting, you know, really shutting up part of your brain off not not judging your work not thinking about it at all just doing it and letting it come through you and uh i think that, you know that's when the work is most is really you it's mm -hmm. kind of a bit of a dichotomy it's it maybe a paradox that the more of yourself you try to put into the work the less it's really going to be you well it's you have to sort of shut the, that off the different parts of your mind like there's I don't know. I I don't know if your if your publicist told you. I'm also a therapist. That's my other job. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're but, analyzing everything I'm saying right now. <laughs> I, I it reminded me of uh, basically studying neuropsychiatry and that the front of our brains is the it's the newest part of our brains and it's the analytical part, like the prefrontal cortex, really. And I'm I'm dramatically simplifying this. So any neuropsychiatrist mm -hmm. out there, I'm so sorry. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's the front of our brains. It's like, oh, logic and critical thinking and all of those things. And all of those things are really, really useful for not writing a song. Yeah. Like the useful part of your brain for writing a song is like the middle of your brain. And that's the older part, but that's the part that stores like emotional memories and images and language and things like that. And that's kind of like the deeper nonverbal portion of your brain. And that's the no. part that like is really, really, really important to access for writing but if you have them competing with each other, it's kind of like pressing like the gas and the brakes at the same time. Like you're not going to end up with something that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. hundred, hundred percent. I think 
uh, it's I've over the years I've, I've definitely fallen into that trap of, of thinking about uh, trying to do a specific thing and you know trying to like go after a specific thing instead of just turning that off and letting it be what it is and then that's just all it's going to be which that was kind of the point of of trying to do this with these songs um I just want to see if I could really do that because you know I talk a lot of stuff on Twitter about it I wanted to see like could I really do this like could I I want to put it on my shoulders and say here we go I'm gonna just you're gonna do it show up and do this I had no plan for it um but it, it turned out that it was you know somewhat well received and I it's gonna so now I'm gonna release it as a record uh the first series is called Solstice I'll release it as a it's a actually a 16 song record I did 10 mm-hmm. uh 10 songs but for the release I um I did more. I did three new songs that are unreleased. And I also took three of the originals and I uh, put live strings on them. They're kind of orchestral versions mm-hmm. with the piano. Um, and then I've done, you know, since that time I did another series of 10 songs and I've actually just started my third series of it. So I learned so much while I was doing it. Like I saw how I was letting thinking enter the process. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was a uh, kind of funny thing. I was like, I'm planning on doing a thread about this actually today. I was the second series I did was is called Embers. And as I was doing that series, I was really into the flow and I was not thinking about it. I was just every Saturday just pounding them out and doing it. Uh-huh. And I really I didn't think they were that good. Like I wasn't thinking about it that much, but I thought like these are so quick and I'm just doing them and I'm putting them out there. And I, are they even any good? Like I I wasn't sure. Like I, I kind of thought like maybe they're not that great. And I, I didn't really go back and listen to them much. And it wasn't until like just a month or two ago, uh, you know, they'd been, the whole series had been out for a while and I went back and listened to them all again. And it was some of my favorite things I've ever written. I didn't remember them at all. It was funny. I didn't even remember writing them. I'd be hearing the song and like, Oh my God, it went there. Holy even (laughs) And then that went immediately into like, it's, it's, it's actually crazy. It, and I mean that in like a real way. It's insane that I thought, well, I'm about to start a new series. I don't know if I can live up to this. <gasps> and if you look at all the dumb things in that, it's like, first of all, while I was doing them, I didn't like them that much. Uh-huh. And it turns out, it turns out they're some of my favorite things I've ever done. Uh-huh. So it just shows the lie we tell ourselves while we're creating. If you let yourself think about it. And then I started to worry I could live up to the guy who wrote those and it's me. Like I wrote those. So why would I, it just shows all the lies we say, like, am I good enough to do this thing? I'm actually comparing myself to myself. Yep. You know, it, it, of course that's ludicrous. So it should show you that if you're having those feelings as a creator, they're lies. It's just something you're, you're, brain I, I like to say reptile brain I, you've studied neuropsychology so you probably cringe at that term but it's it's the thing that tells you like don't go in that cave it might be dangerous yep. and it, nowadays it's don't change you it might be dangerous don't succeed don't get in shape don't yep. get, a, get yep. a new job it might be dangerous and you listen to it you believe it and uh you know you have to shut it off <laughs> it's, I was gonna say it I sounds like what you did was still learning visceral acceptance because you can tell someone that you have to shut it off but you're right and it's funny because it, it it doesn't make me cringe you said reptile brain it's totally fine I know. That, that's yeah, like, i know it's not like a real yeah i know it's so much more 
It's so funny. But yeah, that's the base of your brain that's basically like there to keep you alive and controls like yeah. all your fun autonomic functions. But like it's there to keep you out of danger, which is great. And in a way, so is your middle portion of your brain because that that's the part of your brain also that's still trying to keep you keep you safe because any change is perceived as a potential threat, whether that change is good or bad. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's different. So therefore it might be dangerous. Therefore don't do it. But you challenged yourself to do that. That's it. It that's why like uh, came to my mind like visceral acceptance that like you had to accept and do what you were doing uh, without kind of looking back and that's so cool that then when you actually listen to it you're like oh who was that guy that guy's great yeah, <laughs> yeah it was that experience <laughs> I didn't even remember him I think to just capitalize on what you just said there I, I think what happens if you can let yourself go there, you can actually start using those things, the, the, the need to stay safe, the need to not be dangerous. It's actually the, a great compass for your work. You can you know, make those things work for you now. So if the work you're doing feels dangerous, if it doesn't feel safe, then that's great because that's what yes. you want to do. You, you don't ever want to be doing safe music. And if you're, if you're doing like safe, if it doesn't feel dangerous, if it doesn't feel scary, it's probably not going to do that great to be honest it's not going to revolutionize anything it's not going to you know it, you need to exist in that place where it feels a little bit reckless a little bit like mm-hmm. can i really do this is this okay to do like it should feel that way and if it you know you can actually use those parts of your brain to like steer you in the right direction right because when it says don't do this you go oh okay i need to do that <laughs> like it's yes. very yes yeah that's so funny yeah it's a bit of vengeance almost on it. Cause you think all the years this held this voice held me back. It's so you're getting it back almost by saying, I'm going right? to use you now. You're so. Like I'm going to use you for my own good. Cause yeah, that <laughs> voice, I mean, some of it is very useful that our brain kind of schematizes things so that we understand sure. like it would be really confusing if every time we encountered a couch, we had to figure out what it was. But the fact that our brain is like, this is a couch. This is what you do with couches. You put your bottom on them. Um, it's yeah. very useful. Uh, but when our brain encounters something new, it's like, excuse me, this is not a couch stay away from that. And you're like, Oh no, I'm going to dive onto it. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out. Chase lounge. I'm coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, I liked what you were saying about like, uh, just playing something and not listening back to it because it sounds like in a way also what you are working on now is a radical departure from what you were working on before sonically. Well, yeah, it is. And it isn't. It's, um, yeah. On a on one level, of course, it's it's solo piano, like ambient soundscape music, as compared to like huge metal with like screaming and you know very aggressive rock. But um, I kind of do this thing with productions. I again, when I say like people that come to me for a specific reason, it's it's because I I'm really into like um, combining genres, mm-hmm. and uh, with Red, for example. You know, when I started working with them, it I think it's just kind of the stuff I'm drawn to sonically, uh, the music we were writing. I just, I heard like it needed strings on it. Like I just felt like mm-hmm. big epic strings. And I, I just like to, I think back, you know, with, so with classical music when they, you know, didn't have, you know, I think of guys like, for example, like Paganini is a good example. Like his stuff was, they thought he was the devil. Right. They thought he was possessed <laughs> because of a few reasons. First of all, only he could play the stuff he was writing on violin. He was right. so good at it. Right. And 
also, you know, he, he used a lot of uh, note choices that were considered evil by the church, uh, tritones and, and things like tritones. that. I'm just like, oh, yeah. yeah, so they, oh, he must be possessed, but um, that was the heavy metal of his day. You know, that, that was the edgy <laughs> metal. So this kind of, it's, it's an atmosphere, it's a feeling. It, it's like an aggressive feeling. And whether it's classical music or whether it's on a piano or whether it's a band playing a huge riff, like it's the same spirit almost. Mm-hmm. It's like, so I, I thought like, you know, how did the classical guys do? Like he, the major tool they had was dynamics. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's something missing in a lot of modern rock, especially. Um, so I, I kind of incorporated all those other elements like we have a lot of sections that are just these beautiful kind of moving string moments and Mm -hmm. then it enters with like something really heavy it's also about you know contrast because how do you make something loud and heavy you put something quiet before it yes you know it's it's like a lost art i think these days so i tend to in all the stuff i produce i like to put those kind of elements into it that are sort of this new piano music I'm doing it's it's almost like if you distilled that element from the metal I produce that's kind of what this is uh the new stuff it's just what I've always done I've maybe just done it in a different way you know if you could just solo the strings or the piano from a metal song Mm. it would kind of sound like the new stuff that I'm releasing now so that's a really uh, it is very different but uh, yeah I and it's I guess I only think about that because I'm asked. It's not, I don't, always, <laughs> I don't really approach it that way. Right. You're not like sitting there being like, but, uh, so she'll play the piano as though I were playing the solo from the metal. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's something you realize. And that's the best thing, I guess. It's like, after you do it, you realize what you did instead right. of, it's like, it's like a top down instead of the other, like more teleological thing where you're right. trying to do something, you know? Yes. So. I think this is the only podcast where we can throw around teleological and me thinking to myself, well, it's the pianoforte, so it is a study in contrast. It's the perfect <laughs> instrument to do that with. <laughs> yes. Exactly that. I'm glad you, you have that uh, listener base that, you know, yeah. get, in, get into this stuff because it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not stuff that everybody is thinking about, even creators, you know, but uh, I, I think everybody is creative. As people just don't think of it in those terms, like what they, things that they do in their life every day. It doesn't matter what businessmen or you know, whatever, there, there's a creativity element to it. And I, yes. people should think of, you know, if, even if you're like not a professional creator, like it's kind of stuff I'm saying, like it, it, it's happening in your life all the time. You know, it's, if you just have to view it that way and I don't know. Well, I think viewing it through that lens, because I think that people do sometimes make a false dichotomy. Like we were even talking earlier about, well, if you wanted to get a job, you could just get a different job for income and I think that people refer to those typically as you know day jobs and people sometimes feel a lot of shame around them too like people who aren't making money out of their creative endeavors feel really ashamed of themselves for getting day jobs yeah Um, I could I could see that I I don't I don't know what I would have done if it you know music happened for me pretty quickly but I I I mean I I tried actually it's gonna sound funny but I tried to not do music most of my life. <laughs> I, I, uh, I thought I was gonna, I always did music growing up and I, I was always had lots of opportunities doing it, but then I, I don't know what, what it is. I, I've, I've thought about this recently. I, I tend to like avoid 
the things that I think are obvious maybe or easy. Mm. I'm not sure why I'm still thinking about it, but and I don't, that's not like a, I don't mean that as a badge of honor. I, I don't think it's a good thing to do that at all. I think sometimes the more obvious things right in front of you, you know, maybe you should do. And I, I don't know. I, I had this like idea that, well, I've got this kind of weird little gift in music and I can just kind of do it easily. So that's too easy. I should do, I should be a doctor. Actually, my undergrad work was in pre-med. I was going to be a doctor. Oh, wow. So you actually were going to be a doctor. Yeah. That's probably why I threw that out earlier, but I had thought that's what I was going to do. But at the same time, like every I'm in college, everybody's coming to me asking me to produce their record. <laughs> um, Cause they knew I'd gone to Berkeley for like a year or so. And they had that background and everything I was getting these incredible opportunities, even like, you know, actual bands that were signed. I was in college. I'm like, I don't have time to produce. I didn't know what a producer was at that That's point. So surreal. I, I, yeah. And it's, I could not get away from it. Like I, I, when I graduated, it's like everybody I knew told me like, you need to go be a musician somewhere. Like you, you are an idiot if you don't do it. And I'm like, well, okay. And right. I moved to Nashville and it was like, I moved to Nashville on a Monday and like on Wednesday I got hired to, like work on something with a record label and that was it I, mean, I didn't so i don't know if back to the day job thing like i don't know what i would have done i mean if it had taken me a couple years to break in i'm much i think i would have said you know i'm gonna go do something else i don't know if i would have tried to pursue it i always would have done music i guess but it was mm. so personal like i just did it for me and the fact that people pay me for it is like kind of crazy that's, <laughs> that's, that's great but it's I feel like I, I would do it. I always used to be the last person on earth. What would you do? Like, that's always the the way to tell, you know, and right. I know that I, I would always go sit at a piano and play it. If I saw one. Right. Wandering a scorched earth as the last person alive. Just be like, all right, where are those rogue pianos? I used to have an Instagram post of pianos in public. Yes. <laughs> go find them. I'd go to the Steinway factory and, and it's fun. I always say piano. It's funny. I'm not even like that good of a piano player. I, I know it's funny to say that as somebody who like, is releasing a piano solo record but it i don't really separate like the writing of a song and like the instrument it's kind of mm-hmm. a weird thing like i i'm a guitar player by i guess i don't want to say trade but i guess that's the mm-hmm. term that's my background is like as a guitar player i actually was like a studio session mm-hmm. player back in the day when they still had sessions i don't really do that anymore but um it's funny that i ended up gravitating more towards piano for this stuff because i'm not i always tell people i don't think i'm a very good piano player like i can barely get by i can just do the things that i hear in my head Mm -hmm. and i don't view it as like playing piano i almost view it as like well i had i had to write this song somehow i had to like get this (laughs) thing out of my head and i the piano was there so i did it It, i did it it's kind of a strange that i it seems to kind of follow in theme with not taking the easy route (laughs) It might. That, that's a great point. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. It would have been easier <laughs> to just do guitar because it's like so easy. But no, I couldn't do that. And even with music nowadays, I'm like, well, no, I got to go get an MFA and write. And it's yeah. Uh, even within that, like I, I finished a couple of years ago, I finished my first novel, and then I thought, well, it'd be too easy to just publish my first novel. I got to go write two or three more novels. <laughs> and uh, I'm just realizing right now, like literally now. Like in the last week, almost, this is like, like, that is so dumb. Like, <laughs> I, I've, I have written like another, like most of two other novels since that time. I'm like, why don't I just go back and edit the first one 
And that that's like what I should do. Like, why would I just not do that? It's the same thing <laughs> as people telling me to be a musician. Why are you be a doctor? You don't want to be a doctor. Go be a musician. Like, I don't know. It's, it's so funny. funny. The things you tell yourself, like, yes. And what we, so, what we absorb from I'm still learning. Is your, your narrative is like, Oh, by the way, that's an important point for everybody is that we're always still learning. Like every day, I always joke that I'm like, oh, I was God, eight yeah. years old when I figured out. <laughs> well, it's, and it's unlearning. And I, I, I should make that important. Like the reason I can ask myself these questions now and do this stuff is because of the unlearning. Like mm. you have to like, I, for so long, I, I placed so much value on education. I mean, I do still, but you know, on like, how much do I know? I, I thought that was going to be, that's the mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. And then there's maybe a point in your life when you realize those are the things holding you back because all the stuff you think, you know, that you, you assume are true, all the things that are just immutably. So, you know, those are the things that are putting you into this rigid kind of paradigm that it's not enabling you to like really break out of it. And you have to, mm-hmm. you know, this is a great Zen proverb that says uh, to the expert, there are very few ways to the beginner. There are many have a beginner's mind. And I, when I read that for the first time, I remembered uh, after I left Berkeley College of Music, mm-hmm. uh, I only went there a year. But okay, so I grew up having like a pretty good understanding of music theory without knowing that right. I did. Right. Like I just, I got music from a very early age. I just kind of understood it all. And then I went to Berkeley and they just taught me the names for all of it. Yes. Of what I kind of knew. And, but then when I left Berkeley, it, music was, it was demystified 100%. Mm. Uh, it, and that's, you said that word in our pre-interview. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's exactly <laughs> right. It's, it's, uh, I'm giving you credit for it. It's demystified music completely every song i heard you know i knew the exact chords that were being played i knew what was probably going to be played next i, I knew everything about the melody and why they chose that melody and a different melody and every every time i tried to write music i knew every option that was available to me i could hear it in my head and i it, yep. everything was just rigid and i hated i i cannot tell you how much i hated it like it it, it was a very dark time and i was only like 19 or something right and I uh, I don't know why I had this idea at that age, but I did. Um, I said, well, music used to be fun. Mm-hmm. So how do I make it fun again? I need to not know what's going on. So I I took my uh, guitar and I I just put it into like a random alternate tuning. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, like for people who don't play instruments, like guitars, there are things such as alternate tunings that are kind of, accepted like a known as like an alternate tuning you can use i don't mean that i mean like literally truly random like i would just turn (laughs) turn the tuners and the guitar would be relatively in tune with itself but i had no idea what the actual tuning was yeah and i just started playing stuff and i i would change the tunings multiple times a day and just keep playing so i couldn't even guess what was going to happen when i hit the strings because i didn't know Right. What the tuning was. Oh my God. I couldn't predict anything. And it, I don't know, after some time, it finally like doing that, I learned to turn it off. Um, it's, it's definitely something you have to learn to, and you can learn to like have a 
you have a pretty deep theory knowledge and you can use it and employ it when you need to use it, but you can definitely learn to completely turn it off. And it's like, as I want to like, when I'm in this state of writing, I want to be as dumb as possible. Like I want to like not know anything. And uh, I, it wasn't until later in life I realized that I knew it back then. Mm -hmm. I just didn't apply it like ever again. Like I, I, I didn't realize what I was doing and it, cause I went through this with fiction writing too. Like I got my MFA. So, Oh, I know all about plotting and story structure and character arcs and you know, all this kind of stuff. And then I realized like, Holy shit, I'm doing it again. Yep. It's yep. 20 years later <laughs> and I've learned all this theory and I've let it get in my way and it made writing really not that fun anymore. Right. So now I have to learn to completely unlearn it all. Well, and it's so, so strange because yeah. it has to be almost not subliminal. That's the wrong word for it. But like you have to learn how to use the tools and forget how to use the tools so you can use the tools. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what happens. Like it, it, it very much is that way. You have to just learn to, I always, I break it down to, you know, now I can look at it and say, there's like an initial act where you're creating something and that, that should just be like, that's just be like fire and chaos. Mm -hmm. is what that part should be and then there's a part later where you can look at that and you can maybe look at some of that theory but you know employ it when you need to use it you know hopefully it's an off and on thing you, you kind of turn it on and off and because even in the editing process it can be it can be creative you know you don't right. have to always be that rigid you know guy so yeah it, it's about learning to go on and off and i it's funny how i did that so easily with music but I, I just didn't do it at all with writing. Like I didn't even see that it was a problem. It sounds like it took you, it took you a minute to, you had used the word immutable uh, previously. And I thought that that was mm -hmm. such an interesting choice of word because it's almost accepting that like, if something has become immutable, that that's the problem right there, that actually things like are inherently mutable. Yeah. Um, yes. And you so think it has to be a certain way. Yeah. And so it's like, if you do find yourself thinking, well, this has to be the way it sounds like that's almost like, I just tried to snap my fingers, but I have really small hands. So that made a dumb sound. Uh, <laughs> I was like, Oh, that sounds like I dropped the pin. That was the sound I'll of my it. hand. I'll there you go. <laughs> no, you, Thank you. you're absolutely right. There, one of my favorite quotes, um, my favorite quotes ever by anybody is from Alan Watts. And he said, it's near the end of his life. Um, and he said, everything could have been anything else and it would have just as much meaning. And I, I don't know, he, he, it's just incredible to me. He, he, has a, he has this you know, idea that he talks about where your choices don't really matter. It, it all always comes out. Like it, you're, we spend so much time worrying about a, a certain choice, but you just have to, again, part of why I did this new music thing was because I had, if I was going to do these in one day, write these songs in one day, mm -hmm. I had to like really make choices fast. Right. And it was almost like testing that quote. I wanted to see like, okay, so my I'm going to just go with the thing I write first and that's what it's going to be. And I could have written a hundred different things. Um, but it, you know, it, the important thing is that you just make a choice. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't probably matter the choice that you're struggling with. You know, it, the, the, the thing blocking your way to making the choice is is that you're trying to make a choice. It's, it's kind of a weird, 
you know, paradox, but it, yes. it's often the thing that we're like, for example, uh, that phrase, you know, the pursuit of happiness, one of my least favorite, you know, phrases, because it, it's like saying the upness of down. Um, it's not <laughs> to, to pursue is to not be happy. Right. Um, this right. the definition. You, you cannot pursue happiness. It, it's literally the only, and even happiness in general, I think I said earlier that I don't like to frame, frame things in terms of happy or not happy because, or even good and bad, because, you know, if you, if you try to frame an experience as happy or a feeling as happiness, then you, happiness can't exist in a vacuum. Um, when you, when you say something, when you say you have happiness, you, you're creating unhappiness by definition. There have, there has to right. be both sides because we can only know happiness if there also is unhappiness. Welcome to the dialectic um, of why not both. Yeah. It's not to get, not to get too philosophical, <laughs> with it, but it's where you start to realize like you're on the wrong spectrum. If you're trying to gauge things as happy, not happy, good, bad, right. um, it, because you'll never win that game. It's, it's no. an unwinnable game. You have to get off that track and just, it's more about acceptance, especially with creativity. I think it applies to life, but I'll try to keep this to creativity um, and, and writing songs and writing books and stuff. It's, it's about acceptance of the thing that it is mm -hmm. and, and not judging it as good or bad or whatever. Well, that's, that sounds a little like tangent. Thank you for allowing that little tangent into <laughs> Alan, Alan Watts. World. I, I love pocket universes. This is great. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Well, that was all. What was that even based on? You said something that was really good that I was riffing on about. Uh, uh, well, I was, I turned it into like your uh, anything or everything could be anything else, and it wouldn't everything matter. Could be anything. Well, and that's Which what you, you said something before that that was great. I was just like, oh yes, I'm sure I did. I'm so articulate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Sorry>. And <laughs> dunking on myself. No, you're fine. Don't even fret. Um, no. I was thinking about how you wrote the current record that you're going to release is basically mm -hmm. you put exactly the philosophy you just expounded on into action doing that. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah I, I really wanted to, you know, when you do that, it makes it like I should be on NPR or something. Cause it's about like an experiment or something that I did. And it, I guess it kind of is, but the, the music, I don't think it's, I don't view it as a experiment mental in and of itself I, I mean i hope that they're actually listenable like very good you know songs that people can relax to and you know, it's not you know like the deep uh b sides of like philip glass or anything it's not that <laughs> in inaccessible it's not like john cage you know it's just they're pretty little piano songs but the in and of itself it was a bit of an experiment to see like okay right. well does you know can i really do this and i i would say it's been a great experience for me personally. I, I just did a new record for Red, which comes out in April. Oh, nice! Uh, it's uh, called Declaration, and it's one of my favorite records I've ever produced. And I, I know this is my sixth record with them. And I, you know, to go that long with a band and still feel like you're doing stuff that's like fresh, let alone some of your favorite stuff you've ever done. Right. Um, it was an incredible experience, and I don't think I, I could not have done it without um, this other experience of having done you know, the piano songs of the mm -hmm. solstice record. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it really put me in that frame of mind of just kind of no thought, like the, the no mind of, of creating and just like, cause we had to do it. We had a very tight deadline mm. and it, it was like, 
I almost don't even believe like, so I spent two years making the first record. I spent a year making the second record. We made this record in six weeks. We wrote oh my it, God. recorded it and mixed it in six weeks. And I have to give a lot of credit to, to Anthony Armstrong. Um, well, the whole band, you know, Mike Barnes and Randy Armstrong and Dan, uh, the drummer, but Anthony in particular, you know, we wrote it all together and he's the guitar player and he oh. like, you know, so I have this little, you know, studio up in remote Maine, up in the mountains. And, you know, it's another thing too. I can't make it sound like that bad that I work up here and not Nashville, because I think a lot of artists like to come up here because it is so remote, you know, and yes. work. Um, and, you know, we, so Anthony came up and we went out to my studio in the mountains. They call it the murder cabin. It's not the official <laughs> name of it. It just has become known as the murder cabin. You're really selling like yourself this, here. <laughs> I know. Come work with me at the murder cabin. Come work with me in the murder cabin. Lighthouse keeper. Yeah. <laughs> I have a beard. <laughs> and we, you know, we just spent so much of what I do with Red with all the guys. Like we just sit around and we, we talk about the idea of something. Like the, not that they're they're not really concept records, but I mean, it's, they kind of are a little bit. But we, we, but it's more about we just talk about what's inspiring us and we we come up with an idea of like what's the theme of this record what's the idea of it like what were we feeling it just, there's so much of that goes into like a full record mm -hmm. and i was talking about all this stuff that i've just been going on about with you now um to anthony and you know we just had a lot of great connections uh, about that uh this idea of just like showing up and doing it and anthony's really good at uh just letting it rip, I guess. Like if, if I tell him to, I was like, I tell him, don't worry about like going too far, making uh -huh. something too weird. And he's like, okay, Roger. And then he'll, <laughs> cause he knows like, I'll be there to, as you know, to like catch thing. You know, he'll never go mm -hmm. too far. He, it's <laughs> like when we have each other for that, I do it too. You know, like he'll, he might check me on something if I'm going too far, but um, man, he, he just did such a great job with like, I mean, I don't know. He really found his style. Like, because I, th I think when you work that fast, you can't really stop to think about it. Right. And that means like the real artist in you is coming out. And I, I just feel like the stuff he wrote on this record, like I, I was pretty blown away by it and it inspired me and it, you know, I, I could see like, okay, this is like the real deal, what we're doing here. And I, it inspired me to like come up with the lyrics and you know, like mm -hmm. all the melodies and stuff like really fast. And it, it was just, a very amazing like six week experience of wow being like everything I've been kind of talking about, you know, work in a bigger scale, like with a full record, like this huge sounding you know, rock record. So that's so cool. I was like, it sounds like gone. Well, I was going to say some of the themes even are some of the stuff I'm talking about. Like some of the themes of the songs are, are this idea of, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of things in your head that you don't have to listen to. Mm. Um, that uh, in particular is one song called uh, The War We Made. And I, I can, this is the only song I could probably talk about because they, they're playing that live now on their tour. So it's out there. People know about it. Gotcha. The, war, uh, the War We Made. And it, it's just about, it's like one of the most important songs I feel like I've ever been a part of. It really just talks about this, uh, you know, we, we don't have to like have that fight in our head all the time when i was writing it i actually thought about uh red has a different song that i'm a co-writer on called the fight inside mm -hmm. and that came out a long time ago on an album called innocence and instinct maybe 2000 
2010 or something, 2009, maybe even eight, actually, 2008. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this song is all about the war inside and like I'm getting torn apart by this constant like thing. And even in the, even in like the way we recorded it, it's almost sounds like there's two people arguing in this guy's head and it's all that. And mm-hmm. this, this song, The War We Made, it's almost a response to that song. And I like it's that almost, you kind of had that callback to be like, oh, you actually don't have to do it that way. It's exactly what it is. It's like, I'm, I'm telling that guy who wrote that, like, dude, you don't, ha- buddy, you don't have to do that. You don't have to like fight that war. It's, you made it. It's kind of interesting to be able to look back on things you wrote and then like almost write responses to them. I hadn't thought of it <laughs> before this record, but I, I kind of realized like that's what I'm doing. I'm writing to my younger self and saying like, you don't have to do that, man. Yeah. Cause that's I was okay. going to ask you like what you would tell your younger self or other younger selves who are out there, but it sounds like that record might oh even be kind of, Oh, this might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, very, very much so. It's well, see, I'm, I'm not big in defining what songs are about. Like that's a, that's a thing that, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I will answer people if they ask me. Um, but I, I really, you know, most artists probably think this. I'm not unique because I think this, but art should be experienced directly by mm-hmm. the people and defined. You know, every song is going to have a different meaning to somebody. And if if I tell people what a song means, it to go back to your word, it demystifies it a bit, and then it mm-hmm. becomes uh, immutable. Uh, to be <laughs> this, it becomes like a specific thing. It means this, and I, you know, I, I really want it to meet people more where they are and means something to them personally right. but but a lot of these songs are you know they they're kind of about that often you, like the the singer is singing to that other voice in his head when he talks about you mm-hmm. you know he he is kind of sort of telling the ego it's like nope not today it's not happening <laughs> right now like i i don't i don't have to like march to your beat anymore i don't have to do those things anymore uh you know, so if it's kind of all the angles you wrote from, you probably wouldn't necessarily get that, you know, if you just heard the song on the radio. I like to do music. I hope it's layered. You know, I try to make it that way. I want it to be, if you heard it on the radio, you can just sing along to it and it's a cool song. But if you really want to analyze it, there's a lot more maybe there. Into it. So yeah, it's hard to always pull it off, but at least that's my goal. But, I'm nodding sagely. I realize that made uh-huh. difference. <laughs> yeah. it's like insert nod sagely <laughs> i got it i felt it there you go there you go what what might you directly tell other people who are perhaps either younger or getting into the fields of music and writing because your narrative is so interesting that you were like oh i do want to become a doctor and people are like now nah, become a musician so many people actually have the opposite narrative that I was like, what would you tell those people that are experiencing perhaps the opposite narrative? That's a great question. Um, well, it, no, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, it's a great hypothetical question that they would ask me. Like, cause I don't, I'm not sure what I would tell them. I, it's, it's very hard for me to tell people what to do because I, I often don't know it myself. Like I, I don't really know how I broke into industry I don't know why people like hired me a lot. I didn't, you know, things. Okay. So I'll try to, I'll try to actually answer this. I'll try to give some practical (laughs) advice instead of just saying like, Oh, I don't know what I do. I'm an artist, blah, blah, blah. I'll try to be 
like actually give some actionable things here. Um, I believe in you. I'll try. And it plays into why not both. Um, when I was first starting out, I, uh, I had this like, okay, so a lot of people I got to know pretty quickly that they were either they, they just sort of just did one thing. Like I meet somebody, they were a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Another dude, he's a session drummer or a session guitar player. Another guy's, uh, he's like a programmer. And so for like in music, for those that don't know, like when you say programmer, you mean a guy who kind of builds a track. They're, they're probably good with keyboards and drums and they, we call it programming the track where they kind of just build these little, it's like all the cool, like whiz bang sounds you hear in tracks right. are often by programmers. Um, and then you had like guys who were just trying to be producers and, uh, I kind of, and I would see like these oftentimes like these guys be on top of the world and everything's going great. Then you'd see them like two weeks later and like, Oh man, work's dried up. There's nothing going on. And so I had this kind of idea of, I, I thought I could do a few things pretty well. Um, I thought, you know, I'm, I was a pretty good guitar player and I, I got back into, you know, I really started practicing a bit more making sure that I was, really up to par and then i realized i probably couldn't compete with all of the uh electric players that were out there mm. but there there was kind of this new acoustic style that was coming to the forefront that sort of like really percussive aggressive acoustic style right this was in the early 2000s and i i could do that pretty naturally and well so i decided to like make that like my thing just mm-hmm. like i and uh also i was writing a ton of songs and then i was producing i mean i was a programming a ton of tracks so i thought okay i can probably play guitar as well as or at least competitively you know with a lot of these guys who are only doing sessions i can program right along with the guys who are programming mm-hmm. right i think i can write both lyrics and music i can compete with these other right you know all these kind of ideas so i i, I thought well if i can do all of those things at at the level of the the best guys doing them, you know, theoretically work should never really dry up. You know, I should be able to just always like one of those things should always be working. Right. And, uh, it, I don't know if that was a good idea or a bad idea. It, it, in this case, it did work. Right. Exactly. Like it should have worked. Like I hoped it would, I, I got hired to do something. Uh, it was actually songs. I, I got, uh, somebody liked a song I wrote and it was, uh, the, the producer, it was a producer who was producing a, a record by an artist named Joy Williams, who mm-hmm. went on to be, um, oh my God, what was that band? A huge band that she was in, uh, The Civil Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she's the girl in that band. Um, and she was a solo artist before that. So I ended up uh, <clears throat> getting kind of pulled into that project because of a song I'd written. And then he said, oh, you, you made this track. So you're a good programmer. And I'm like, oh, I can get by. And so, and then, you know, he realized like the guitar is on it too. So like he hired me for like everything on this. Record. <laughs> yes. I, I wrote like five or six songs. I did all the programming. There were certain, there were songs that he just basically used my demo and then he put her vocal on top of it. And then I did all, you know, all the guitars and, and then that, that kind of thing happened a lot until the labels finally said like, well, why don't we just get this guy to produce it? You know, cause he's right. kind of the one doing all this stuff anyway. I, I'm not sure if, so, okay. That's a really specific approach. And this is, this is the hard thing talking about, you know, if, if you ask a hundred musicians how they broke in 
they're going to tell you a hundred different, a hundred different things. So there's like, what can you distill down from it? I guess is the thing. So for me, the takeaway from that is not to specifically do those things. Like don't, don't get prescriptive. Don't try to do that. If you're trying to break in, like don't try to become really good at three things or whatever I did, you know, that's not the answer. The, what you take away is I made myself invaluable pretty much Mm, mm -hmm. whatever I was doing. And they Mm -hmm. kind of realized I was the guy who could just do it. And I think that the secret to doing that is and not to go against the message of the podcast of why not both. I actually think it's one thing. Uh, And it's, you know, once you realize like it's all just about one thing, which is getting something from the inside of you to the outside Mm -hmm. somehow, Mm -hmm. it's all one thing then that it kind of frees you up to do whatever you need to do to get there. You don't have to really think too much about all this other stuff. Like what should I become good at? What should I do? It just, it just kind of happens when you have that like one goal and there'll be a lot of different things probably that you'll, you'll end up doing. You might do a lot of different work in different mediums and be okay at them or great at them. But when you see that it's just really about one thing. So for me, it was all about just making a really great you know, piece of music and it didn't matter how I did it. I, I sort of like, I remember this one time they asked me, it was actually on that record for, for joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing guitar session and the producer said, Hey, um, next week I want to, I think this song could really use a, a bazooki. Are you <laughs> cool? So let, let's do that next week. And I, I just like, I never even, I don't know what he even said. I, I said, but I said, yes. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, no uh-huh, problem. Totally. And I'm like making notes, like I'm making notes on my <laughs> on my music. I'm writing down the word, like kind of phonetically trying to spell what I think he just might have said. I didn't yes. even know what he said. And I, I went home that night and I'm on the internet and I'm like trying to type in what do you say? Bazooki? Bazooki? I didn't know what he it was. I wasn't that close. I'm saying it correctly. I, I was so far off. Eventually I realized what he meant, and it's this it's kind of like a giant mandolin, basically. Uh-huh. It's like tuning uh-huh. is a anyway, I, I ordered one. I had it overnighted, learned how to play it, and then like went in like I'd, like I'd done this a hundred times to the session. Like, sure, let's do the bazooki. And you're like, yeah, I got this and down. It's, yeah, it's, it's like a thing that you just kind of like, I don't know. It's when you make yourself kind of like essential to like a project. And I, I don't know. It, it, that's probably the, the single you know, thing in terms of how I specifically mm-hmm. you know, did it, but it's, uh, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, they talk about how few people make it that try and all that stuff, but I, I just think that's really irrelevant. Like, don't worry about that. I would tell most people not to worry too much about because they're, they're meaningless statistics. I mean, it, sure. Maybe it's true. One in, I don't know, hundred, say one in, what do you think a good number is? 10,000, hundred thousand. I don't know. Oh, twenty people break in. I should I should be better at statistics given how many just, classes I've taken in it. And I think that I've just dumped it into the recess of my brain that is like, this is only important if someone asks you about a particular psychology study. Yes. My brain's <laughs> like, pardon me, this is not the right context. <laughs> yep. Well, there's a scientist thinking too much. Um, yep. <laughs> if you say one in one in ten thousand people break into the industry or any industry, like acting, whatever it is, like, okay, maybe that's true, but I would say that 9,500 of those people never had a chance and they should just be removed from the sample that you're talking about. Like it's right. 
it, it, there, I just don't see this like great abundance of people who I think are so incredibly talented and they should have made it and they just never did. I, in, in music in particular, I just, I don't see it. Like well, I, some of it goes back to what know. you're talking about, about like letting things consume you. And it's almost like if you do let things consume you, I mean, definition of success might be flexible, but if you let something consume you and let yourself go down kind of an open path, like you're describing of learning different skills and just getting, getting the insights out in whatever way possible, then in some ways you, you will in fact succeed. You will be that one of 10,000 because you yeah. will have gotten the insides out. Yeah, uh, that's a great, well, and that actually touches on a great point I should have made. Um, you just kind of made it for me. It's when you're, when you're driven and when you're, when you're that kind of person who's like, like the train's leaving, like you're, you're going, it's with or without a record label, with or without any help from anyone else, whether you make it or like, you don't even think in terms of making it or not making it. Like you're right. just going to, you're going to do it. I'm going to do the period. thing. Like this is going to happen. That's what, that's what like people in industry are attracted to. They're attracted to motivation and drive and just, you can just clearly see someone's going to like do it or not. And most people are, that's not the attitude they have. They think that they're going to like get a record deal and then say, okay, now the label is going to take care of everything. Or I'm going to get a manager and now my manager is mm-hmm. going to tell me what mm-hmm. to do and they're going to create an artist out of me. And so people want to work with somebody who's already an artist, who knows what they're doing already, who is right. just, you know, already the thing they're going to be. So it's uh, that, that drive to just like, it's going to happen. I'm doing it with or without you. Like that's probably the single most important thing like you could have done I guess it's a way better oh, answer than the one I tried to give about <laughs> yeah. you got there don't worry yeah. <laughs> oh well yeah I think that in the end that does make a really good point that it comes down to the drive and kind of putting into action the things that you're thinking about you had mentioned kind of like being in your head about things and thinking about doing things whereas the project that you just described that every Saturday morning you sat down and you just did the thing like, mm-hmm. I think that that's the best advice of like, is it good? Is it bad? Don't care. Just do the yep. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, exactly. I, I, I think that that story about how I, I really didn't like them much as I was doing them. And then later on came to realize they were some of the best things. Like, ho- hopefully that's instructive to people. And that's kind of what I mean about, you know, people. Um, I think that's why you need actual, like maybe working professionals talking about this stuff is because maybe other people can sort of who are trying to create or have some of these same problems. Maybe they can just see that and go, you know, okay. So and this, this would be assuming this is a hypothetical person that actually liked uh, the music I was doing. They might say, how could he have not liked that? Like mm-hmm. why, like in what universe did he think that wasn't good? And, but then they realize, but it's true. It did mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. So, it's that's happening to them as well. You know, for everything they think is terrible, there's somebody else who would say, Hey, that's really great. How do you not know that that's great? <laughs> so it, it, like, once you know that this happens to everybody, this is normal. This is yeah. not like, yep. you know, we, people who create things that you love, you know, they didn't probably know that how good it was when they made it. Like they, right. they, they probably, they second guessed it. They probably did, almost didn't release it. And if you know that sometimes maybe that's normal, then you just go, oh, that's what that is. That's all that's happening to me. Mm-hmm. My thing, mm-hmm. that's just a normal part of it. Uh, 
yeah just do it anyway and yeah you just have to like do it it might be great you know you just don't really know it's and a big part of it like i had a thread recently about daring to be like bad you know like not caring if it sucks completely I, i think there's this i have this theory there's like a weird inverse relationship with the more you allow yourself to like write something that might be absolutely terrible the better the bed the good parts will be yes so maybe the bad parts will be actually really terrible (laughs) and and that should be said too because i'm talking about like this thing you think is bad but maybe it is bad i mean it is possible i mean it's always there but parts of it will be great too and the more you allow yourself to be bad the the better the good parts are i'm not sure why it's that true and then you fix it later you know you take out the bad stuff and you well and also that like just because you made something bad doesn't make you bad. Like I think yeah. that that's sometimes what gets conflated for people is that like if you've created something that you feel like is a failure, that then you yourself are a failure. And it's like, no, that one thing didn't really go the way you wanted it to, but that doesn't yeah. validate all the other things that you're doing. That's a great point. Yeah, it's it, you, I do this one thing bad, so everything I do must be bad. You know, and right. you forget that that's no, no, I did some really good parts too. But, but that was bad. I'll give you that, that thing. <laughs> That thing was bad, but you know, the good parts can be good. Yeah. People, people are too hard on themselves that they're, you know, they're really, uh, without realizing it can like judge themselves extraordinarily like harshly. And, uh, quite so you really have to like, let that go. You have to be okay. You have to laugh at it almost just like revel in like, Oh, this is terrible. It's so funny. Like, but then you'll, you'll read, read it back a month later and you'll see like, Oh wow, that line is really good and insightful. I can't believe I wrote that. You know, yeah, that'll happen too. So, once you know other people, professionals uh, that have done stuff you probably love, like once you realize they went through that too, then right. maybe it makes it easier. That's that's why I say like questions, like you know, that's why I want people to like see maybe that, like instead of asking questions about it, like see that process. Uh, I like to talk about it from that perspective and maybe the twitter threads i do it's, it's to kind of show like this is un, this is normal that you're yeah through this and once you know it's normal you can go oh phew, okay it's not just me i'm not crazy i'm not terrible right uh, it's you know well and knowing that it's like a universal experience because otherwise you might think that other people either haven't doubted themselves or have had a different process of self-doubt but it's really nice when you look around at other humans around you and you're like oh i oh you're all thinking the same okay cool yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, you, you feel I'm not alone. You're yeah. not alone in it. It's yeah. So that's like a big part of it. You're not people, just in the lighthouse. <laughs> well, that still sounds nice to me. I got to be honest, but yeah. Just pictured you building a studio in said lighthouse. That'd be great. That's a great idea. On, a, on an island, hopefully one of those like outer Hebrides islands or something, little lighthouse. There you go. There you go. There's lots of wool sweaters involved in this vision. Marty's styling it for you. Yep. Lots of sweaters. <laughs> <gasps> Thank you for coming on this adventure on Why Not Both. It ends in a lighthouse on a remote island. <laughs> in the outer Hebrides. That's where it all ends. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> There's nothing else to say there. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much uh, for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It has been. Thank you so much for joining us for this special episode of Why Not Both. 
If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes, especially these, you know, special edition ones. This season, we're brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine, as well as website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. We are also produced by the brilliant Laura Studeris. If you want to come hang out with us on social media, we are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm excited to share more interviews with you. Thank you.